Welcome to Beer Massive, a collection of good beer-centric conversation, interviews, editorials, reviews, and more from a collective of centrally like-minded yet individually opinionated good beer fanatics. From podcasts born in the present, or from our massive library of brewer interviews from years past, we hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do enjoy what you hear, please subscribe. Feel free to reach out to us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram on tap, at Massive Beers, or email us individually at massivebeers at gmail.com. There you go. It's nice up here, man. I didn't even know there was an upstairs up yeah. here. Yeah, they, well, so there's four floors to this place. Um, the first floor is bar, restaurant, um, since you've known it. And the upper floors were generally used as hotel rooms, uh, for the most part, kind of very, very short stays. Oh, okay. let's say, I should tell you what that is. Uh, uh, d- dry hopped peach goza. Okay. Um, yeah, so the episode. There's a little bit of hops in there, just a little, a little dry hopping, just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so the upper floors were uh, very short stay hotel rooms. Are they like, still? Are they, very, very short stay. Are now. Uh, yeah. And brothel, um, yes. <laughs> the um, but now, what is it? Just storage, or is there? Are they, uh, you, have di- you, have, you have bar and bar and dining in the room we're in. Um, there's another private dining room next to us, okay. um, and then upstairs office, and then the fourth floor is storage at this point. Okay, yeah. Um, where are you from? Are you from Lehigh? From Detroit. Why are you in Lehigh Valley? <laughs> My wife's from here, so. Uh, you know, where'd yeah. you guys meet? We met in D.C. Well, we met in Scranton. We used to do. My previous life, I used to do political work, um, and we met on the first campaign that I worked. Um, I answered an ad in the local, it's called the Metro Times, so the local free alternative paper. Um, you know, I was 20, not doing much. Um, and it said, you know, make some money. Um, hi, Chef. Hi. Yeah, what is it? Learn, learn political campaign work, work on a top-tier Democratic campaign, get paid. I said, okay. I could, I could use all those things. I didn't get paid much, like well, 100 bucks yeah. a week. Yeah, uh, working. Yeah, you know, what was hours a week? Was it just you had like an interest in in politics? I, I, I had or? an interest in that sort of thing, but it was yeah, yeah. And then you know, there's not much going on in Detroit at the time, so you know, time to go somewhere else. And then I ended up that ad sc- brought you to brought me to Scranton, um, where we were working for Pat Casey, mm-hmm. the brother of uh, Senator yeah. Casey. Um, we didn't win, um, but met a lot of good friends, and then I continued doing it. My wife did not, but she moved to D.C., and I ended up working for um, a congressional race in suburban Maryland, um, Chris Van Hollen, in 2002. Got to hang out more with Kim. Friendship blossomed, and, you know, here we are. D- did you live in Scranton, for, uh, or did you kind of just work out I ended out up in Monroe County in, in Stroudsburg. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, the base was Scranton. And then uh, the wife, the wife, he was originally from? From McCungie. McCungie? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's still kind of decently far away from here, isn't it, McCungie? Isn't nah, it? Well, we live in Bethlehem, so it's about 40 minutes from there. It's still in the Lee yeah. Valley. But yeah. So it was, it was close enough to family, but far enough where no one's dropping in unexpected. And, and it was uh, the best, the best di- kind of distance, you know what yeah. I mean? The, the no pop-in rule. Exactly. Um, and then you're out, and then... You're you're living in well, you're Mukunji at the time, but then you like did, what brought you to the Lehigh Valley itself, or well, did she just, she was from Mukunji and you we, guys we moved were living here. in D.C. for a while. So okay. after 2002, you know, we kind of got together. I, we moved in together, and it um, I had gone off and done another another race in Virginia, 
Um, and then while I was down there, my wife was looking to not live in D.C. anymore, and I, you know, I had no attachment to it per se. Um, so I said, well, where do you want to live? And she said, I kind of want to move close to back home. So we started looking at stuff in Bethlehem, and that's where we, where we ended up. Homebrewing the whole time? or? Well, that's kind of a neat thing. So when we moved to Bethlehem, so I, when we lived in D.C., I'd been kind into craft beer when I moved there, mm-hmm. um, you know, Sierra Nevada, Pale Ale. When's this around? Like what time? Uh, two, well, before I was legal through 2002. So pre, pre like, church key, big beer yes, air, yeah, stuff. Yeah, pre all that. Yeah. But what D.C. had at the time was the Brickskeller, okay. which um, at, at some point in it, it doesn't exist anymore. It's now the Beer Baron or something. But um, it was in the Guinness Book of World Records for most varieties of beer available oh, okay. in one location. Oh, damn. And it was about five blocks from my house. So, you know, I ended, ended up uh, hanging out there a lot, okay. uh, you know, working through their, their beer Bible. Um, I had started getting the Williams Brewing homebrew catalogs. It was like a mail order back mm-hmm. in the day before online ordering <laughs> mail order stuff. Um, yes, there was up. there was a world before the internet, kids. <laughs> Even though you're listening to this right now on your phone. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> and then we—it's not a tape player. You're not going to no, cassettes? no. It's a, it's a it's a mimeograph and and, uh, and an eight track player. No, go ahead. <laughs> so when we moved up here, um, we had sold our sold my wife's condo down in D.C., and I was charged with mailing off the closing papers, which I don't know why you trust me to do that. But I ended up, uh, the FedEx drop box was in the uh, Bethlehem Main Street Commons next to the Bethlehem Brew Works in the basement. And when I walked up to the FedEx drop box, I looked to my left, and I saw Keystone Homebrew Supply. So I then closed the thing, didn't mail the envelope, went into Keystone Homebrew Supply, and bought a, uh, a, a homebrew kit and uh, oatmeal stout recipe and... Uh, and the rest is history. And I got yelled at for not mailing the important papers. <laughs> not, uh, last time you were ever yelled at, too, probably. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, so you really bought the homebrew kit and then ended up at the place, essentially, where you brought the homebrew yeah, right kit. Next that door. Kind of yeah, like, yeah, the same building, yeah. So was that kind of a combination of like, like just brewing your own beer, but also just starting to hang out there and kind of pick brains and kind of... No, no. Um, I started a homebrew, uh, got kind of we had a very active homebrew club at the time uh the Lehigh valley homebrewers and they're mm-hmm. still pretty active i'm just less of a participant mm-hmm. these days um so i started brewing more and more and i had we had a we had opened in the meantime a retail clothing shop in south bethlehem so i would always have mondays off which is a great day to be left alone so oh. you can brew beer um, started getting heavily into homebrewing competitions and things like that. But as we were winding up the store in 2000, um, late 2008, uh, the Brewworks had posted a job for assistant brewer, which I was not qualified for. But um, Bo Baden over there, was kind, who was the brewer at the time, was kind enough to at least interview me. And then he said, well, I'm not going to hire you for this job, but... We're going to be doing um, bottling, uh, 750 milliliter bottles, um, back when that was a popular format, uh, cork and cage. Yeah. And we're going to need hands for that, and you know, maybe if you're good, we'll keep you around. So I was the guy who would put the cages on the bottles. I'd hold a drill, <laughs> I'd have to keep things tight, and I'd have to go real fast. And if you go one spin too much, it breaks. If you go one spin too little, the cork flies out, and... Uh, you know, it's not a sellable product. Apparently, I didn't complain much when I did that and was fast enough that <laughs> I was then asked to clean some kegs. And um, apparently, I did that well enough where then I was invited to clean some tanks. And then I was there full time. And then um, 
you kind of move up by attrition sometimes in this industry. Mm-hmm. So people moved on and then there were holes There's a lot of turnover and, at that time at Fegley's, right? There was a lot of people coming in and out. Um, this was early on. So this okay. was, Bo was in charge of the whole thing, brewing primarily in Allentown where they were working on ramping up production for outside mm-hmm. sales. Uh, Lewis Thomas was brewing over in Bethlehem. He had been there for quite a while at that point and wouldn't leave for a few more years. Um, Nick Michio was the assistant that I kind of moved into his spot. He, he, went, he went to Williamsport for a brief, brief stint at uh, Bullfrog, and now he's at Saucony Creek. Okay. Um, so I moved into his spot. Um, but it was still kind of a small crew. It was me and Bo, and then, then maybe six months later, Mike Weibold, who is now about to open Sage Alley Brewing, um, joined the team. Um, and then Matty Eck joined the team, I mm-hmm. think, a year later. He's now at Strange Ways. Strange Ways down in Virginia, yeah. Um, and then CJ came a little later. Okay. So that wasn't kind of that, that time when people went off to do what their own, own thing. Now, so that was still early. But before you actually got into the brewer uh, end of things there, what were you homebrewing? Were you just kind of throwing a bunch of recipes out and just trying to do your own thing? Or did you really gravitate towards a specific style and, and kind of beer because the stuff that you make here at two rivers while there's some crossover you do have you know box and some porters and, and baltic porter stuff like that um it's quite a bit different than a lot of stuff that fegley's traditionally is known for so yeah. there, there had to be a little bit of kind of work and then outside of work doing your own thing yeah i i'm really into and some of this might come from the that hanging out the brick scaler but then i was fortunate enough to be able to go on a a really good beer trip to belgium mm-hmm. in 2006 with uh, some of the some of the crew from Spinnerstown Hotel, and then some people from the Homebrew Club, um, and we did ten days counterclockwise, like four breweries a day, um, hitting stuff up. And I was exposed. I was into I was into saisons. I was into lambics, but that really like beat that into my yeah yeah, yeah. you know as as a cool cool way to produce beer and and cool flavors. So. Once I got back from that, I was doing a lot of saisons at home. I was starting to introduce some mixed fermentation stuff at my house. I still have a couple of five-year-old, like, lambic-y kind of carboys. Um, so I got into that and kind of the, that unpredictability mixed with, like, if I make a lot of these things with these bacteria, I'll then be able to blend fruit, do other stuff later. You know, that's, it's, it's almost like an algebra problem. Where you have known plus X yeah. equals with it know. with a nice dollop of mayhem thrown yeah. in the middle yeah, of exactly. all of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, like it's like planned chaos. Yeah, when you're not, you know, <laughs> especially at home here, it's a little, you know, we use, um, you know, harsher chemicals, I guess, to clean things. But at home, you know, if you're not careful, you start mixing carboys up, and uh, you know, your pale ale now has a pellicle growing on top of it, and uh, <laughs> you know, starts to taste like vinegar. So, I mean, that's but that's kind of important that really taught me and then kind of the environment I came up in at the brew works, how you have to be really careful with everything. I mean, and, and it's kind of MO of what Bo does. It's very kind oh, yeah. of systematically very, oh, yeah. you have to do things by the book and be clean and yeah. do all that stuff. But it, when you're talking about doing the mixed fermentation stuff and doing a little bit more Saison sour stuff, it's not necessarily what Fegley's is known for, no. but you've brought a lot of that here to two rivers. When you, when you left, how did you get here? First off, did it, were you were you poached? Were you? No, um, or did you? Uh, there, I ended up. So after a few years working in Allentown, the Bethlehem spot opened up. I ended mm-hmm. up over there for a year and a half running that show. And despite them not being known for that, 
before I got there, they did win a World Beer Cup medal for their Frambois. So they do have... Oh, yeah, they do some Belgian yeah, stuff some, and stuff like that. some just, funky stuff. Yeah. And I was able to inherit um, about 10 or so wine barrels down in the basement at the Bethlehem Brew Works, and I was able to do some blending with that because they were at various states of aging. Um, you know, some maybe were a little more acetic uh, than we would have liked. Some were perfect. Um, and between that and just some luck with stuff we would have in fermenters could blend and do some stuff. So I got to play around a little bit there, but then um, it was time to move on, and uh, I gave my notice over there. And um, as I was doing my exit interview with Bo, you know, he's like, what's your plan? I said, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't have a plan. He said, well, call, call Troy, Troy Reynard, one of the owners of Two Rivers Brewery. Okay. Call them. I think they might have something for you. So you were leaving there before you had the job here. Yes. Okay. And then, um, and then you end up contacting him. And yeah, just... I called Troy up, and um, you know, he invited me over for a beer, and we did a, a lap of the brewery, um, and he said, "So, would you be interested in this job?" And I said, um, "Yeah, yeah, I think I would." Where were they at? As far they were, were equipment was installed. Um, everything was, um, it was basically ready to go. They had had someone who also, I guess, made the same decision I did. Okay. Um, right when it was time to start producing. And they, fortunately for me, most of those like startup, whenever you start something up, everything breaks. Yeah. So fortunately for me, he had to suffer through all that. Oh, okay. So when I got nice. here, it was finish the draft lines and start producing you, beer. You bought a new car with a couple thousand miles on yeah, it and yeah, everybody exactly. worked the kinks yeah. out for you. It was great. Um, <laughs> it's calling, it's calling falling ass backwards and awesomeness. <laughs> I think that's the technical term for it, but yeah, so that, that, that's how, how that all, all worked out. Now it's a weird symmetry though. Back when I was still at the brew works, I've known, I've known Troy, one of the owners here for years. We were in the sustainable business network together cause he had, um, Cosmic Cup Coffee Shop up on College Hill here in Easton, and I the, the organic clothing store. Um, so we had known each other for a while. So when he, when they purchased the building pre-construction on it, though, um, they bought a three-tier Blickman setup, okay. and um, it kind of showed up. And they said, "Well, we don't know what to do with it. Uh, you want to come over and brew some beer?" So I, I came over, and one of the bartenders from I think he was at Porter's at the time, Jimmy Murray, came over. We kind of cleaned the thing up and uh, did a brown ale batch on it. Um, and this was years, this was, you know, you couldn't come up to this floor because the, there were so many f holes in the floor yeah, and you yeah. had to like jump over parts of the first <laughs> floor. This was, uh, yeah, the building was very, very rickety and interesting at that point. But so, you know, I, it's, it's cool that I ended up here cause I was kind of involved in the very, very, very first batch of, of beer brewed in this building. Now. Obviously, the second person that was involved with the brewing here, they didn't, they didn't last. You end up coming on here. And uh, when, this, when this first opened, it was actually a very kind of unique thing for me because it was like, it was, uh, I remember this opening, was it six years? Uh, I, five and a bit. Five and a bit? Yeah, it was December. Because I, I remember coming because I was like, oh my God, I'm like a brewery opened in this old ghetto bar that I used to go to when I lived in Easton because I used to live down the street from here. And I came in and what struck me the most out of this place was, you know, the beer was fine. Um, you know, everything was, you know, it was, you know, nothing crazy. Uh, hard to articulate what I'm trying to say, but it was an old school kind of brew pub mentality in a new school world. That's the weird mm -hmm. thing about it. I was like, okay, this is, I haven't seen a brew pub really open brand new in quite some time. Yeah. From them till now, it seems like 
it was very food first and then brewery second. And now it seems like not to, uh, the food's fantastic. I've eaten oh, here food, several times, amazing, several, yeah. several times, but it seems like, I mean, the beer has, has gotten to the point where it's gotten quite crazy. What was it like to kind of steer that into that direction and go from maybe even the owners or the people mm-hmm. around here going, okay, that's a place to eat. And they, they have some kitschy little beer to know where the, the beer's actually driving the bus. For, yeah. I, I don't know if the beer's, I mean, maybe for people like us. Uh, From my um, perspective, not necessarily yours. Yeah. Um, Well, uh, well, when we first opened five years ago, it was guest beers on tap. Yeah. You know, so that that kind of availability and and kind of the taste of the people ordering the beer determined a lot of that. When I first came on in the first, let's say, four months or so of brewing here, um, it it was a lot of let's not screw this up. Let's make some beer we know how to make, mm-hmm. get some customers through here, and then figure it out. So it was very, admittedly, craft beer 1.0. I was mm-hmm. using a lot of the same yeast that I'd used for, you know, eight years. Close to the best stuff, not trying yeah. to get too yeah, crazy. exactly. It's like, oh, I know I, know I can turn a beer out in 14 days with the, the English 1968 yeah. yeast. Um, I don't, I have these, these hops in-house, so let's just use that. Let's just keep it simple. And keep it going. Then, um, you know, I don't know. It was a mix of, a mix of. I don't want to say getting bored, but there was kind of. This isn't my brewery. I'm just doing what I did at the last spot. Mm-hmm. So it was time. You know, so we switched out the house yeast. We brought in. Um, uh, they call it Vermont IPA. I mean, mm-hmm. it's you yeah. Know, everyone's everyone's using it. This they probably sourced it from from Vermont and you know the Alchemist probably and it's a mutated English strain. But we brought that in, I, and then we started um, pushing the hop schedules a little later with some things to get that more modern approach. And then it just happened that a lot of the other work was caught up with, so then I could focus on some of the barrel program and start turning and burning on that. And it just kind of all started becoming more interesting there, I think, and, and, then, and evolving. And then once, once you see that, that, that people respond to that, then you can go a little farther with it. And what was that like, for, like from the owner's perspective? Like, um, the, how, is there how many owners? Are uh, there's involved? four. Of them. There's four owners. Yeah, yeah two, um, two couples. Oh, two couples. It, it was it. Um, was the idea of the brewery like a passion project for them, or was it more um, a foodie thing, or a combination of both? Or, I think it, like, a combination. They the the story I've heard was that they used to they used to travel around and go to a lot of brew pubs. And there is a certain amount of, there isn't that in downtown Easton, and maybe we can do it in a more interesting way, mm-hmm. you know, with, with, with grabbing a very talented chef and, um, <laughs> and then, you know, allowing, the one thing I'll say about them is they're, they're hands off with the creatives. So as long as, as long as the taps are full and the beer tastes good, they don't. They leave me alone. And, and, and that was and kind of what I was. And leading they do the to. same with the chef too. Yeah, and that that was kind of what I was leading to is because it, it, it seems like from the story you told and from what I've seen, it seems like there was a okay. Get this engine, get this machine running, but it got to a certain point where it's. I don't want to say self-sustained, but it's the point where like, okay, now just yeah. do your thing. Yeah. We don't have to babysit you anymore. We don't have to, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe a bad term to use that, but we don't no, have no, to worry, oh, uh, kind of uh, keep an eye on everything. We know 
you're you're entrenched. You have you know good staff. You have a good chef and a good brewer. And you're doing your thing now. Have at it. And yep. Do your thing. Was there a, like a specific time when that happened, or was it an organic thing that eventually one day it's just like, oh wait, no, I can do whatever I want. You're looking around, or is it, it more it like more, it was more self handcuffed? Yeah, yeah. It was it was you know to be honest, a little bit of a confidence thing. Um, I, I you don't you don't leave. You don't leave a job where you feel respected, you know? Yeah. So some of that uh, maybe carried over here, and uh, it took me to a little while to shake, those, shake that off. Um, so that was more what it was. They would have let me do whatever I wanted from the start. Okay. Uh, how do you think that's been a positive? Do you think that shaped you in a different way than a lot of other brewers? Because it seems like there's a lot of... Uh, ego. Well, There's I a think, lot of uh, I. I can do whatever the fuck I want because I'm king shit of fuck mountain. When it comes to a lot of brewers <laughs> today, and it's just like I'll throw crazy shit against the wall, and it'll always stick because my shit don't stink. I think. I think. Why some of this weirder stuff works here is because we always have a base. What I learned. What What I learned working with Bo is that in a brew pub environment, you should have a rainbow of flavors. Mm-hmm. And as long as you have that rainbow, then this other stuff can be whatever the hell you want. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, we always have a brown ale on. We always have a house IPA on. We always have a clean lager on. Um, we always have a approachable Belgian wit on. Yeah. Um, and then we try to have another dark beer on. We always try to have another funky thing on, some higher octane thing on. So it's as long as you're painting within these colors, you can do other weird things. And that's... I guess that's something that I always try to keep in my head. I don't know if that answers your no, question. No, no, no. It definitely does. Uh, it, when you're dealing with, I mean, obviously, like you know, like you said, um, uh, getting kind of beer life lessons from Bo, mm-hmm. um, from what works, but also, you know, going back to how you're talking about doing the spontaneous fermentation thing, the blending thing, the kind of sour thing. It's a controlled chaos thing. So you're trying mm-hmm. to keep on a track. You're working in an environment where you have to deal with food. And I don't mean, I mean it in a positive way, not like mm-hmm. you have to deal yep. with food. But it, that's the whole lesson is you need to have that spectrum because you're serving so many different kind of dishes and food. You need to be able to pair. Even if people don't know that they're pairing stuff with specific beers oh, yeah. and things work, you need to be able to provide that experience for people, even if they don't know these two things go together. Well, and that's something we're, we're now at the point with our staff that we're working on is attempting to have our staff curate the meal yeah so the way i always describe it to to them is because we've we don't have a i think we have less turnover front of the house than many restaurants do um because i get to know their names so that's that tells me something I'm, <laughs> I'm awful at learning names um so we're working on we're at the point skill level now where i always tell them that first beer you're not gonna have much impact on you know you come in you've been sat by a host yeah. You've been looking at that beer menu for, for hopefully no longer than 45 seconds. But if you're a beer geek, you've already zeroed in on something. Mm-hmm. That order's done. But then, by the time you get that beer, you've now placed your appetizer or you now placed your meal order. By the time that appetizer comes out 15 minutes later, if you're anything like me, that beer's almost empty. Mm-hmm. So that server can now go, hey, you have, you have uh, the hog wings coming out. Um, you might want to try to order, uh, you might try the brewed IPA with that. 
the hog wings are a little spicy, the hops will play nice with that, but the dryness of that beer might dry it, will, will cut the fat in the pork, so it might be a nice experience. And then that appetizer comes out, they drink the beer, it's another 15 minutes before that main course comes out, that beer's starting to get low. They can then, hey, you ordered, you ordered the peanut butter bacon burger. I think the Sterner Iron Stout would be perfect with that. Why don't you do then do the yeah. Jedi mind trick of the yeah. nodding your head and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and working on curating that meal for people. And that's, that's what's fun about this environment is I can, as we're working on that complete tap list, think about where things fit with the food. Is there, is there, a, is there a connection there between you and the chef and like this is coming out of the tanks or vice versa? We're going to put this on. Let's get this on. Or is it more just kind of, it, there's always going to be something to fit with the things coming yes. out. So we kind Yeah, of- but it's always, it's knowing what his menu style is, mm-hmm. I should fit the beer styles within that to a certain extent. There's going to be some sharp elbows here and there. but No, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you're talking about, you're talking about a confidence thing, but you also get to the point where, you know, you have a packed house, you're producing beers, you're throwing beers out there in contests, GABF winning medals. So you get that confidence underneath you, and then you get to the point where you're like, okay, I can do good things same thing from a chef perspective it's that kind of marriage of science and art yeah you know you you you, you want to throw a little bit of elbows if you don't give a shit then that's a problem yeah do you know what i mean yeah, so yeah. you kind of want to be that way the beer portion of the show what's it like to kind of grow this because the food here is almost exclusively meant to be eaten in house sure you, you know you box stuff it's to go yeah whatever it, but in a perfect world yeah, it's it beginning and in, in ending here the beer is going to go beyond that. Do you know what I mean? You have Crowlers here, but I'm sure eventually there's the ideas of working beyond the beer going somewhere else, whether it be in bottles or cans or something like that. You do bottles here and we, there. We do real limited special bottles, and we're not. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to put our IPA in in cans. I well, I should say, say never. never. I that's, should not say never. That's that's not the way it looks right now. If anything. If anything, the way the expansion would work with with our system here, because we do have a little bit of capacity. How many barrels? Well, we did 530 last year. Our theoretical capacity is right around 1,200. So okay. we do have some we do have some room. Yeah. Um, it'll get. It's going to be rough to make that much beer in a year, but um, we could do it. So the way, with the way PA law works, we could have two more locations, off the same license. So if the most cost-effective, meaning dollar per barrel produced for us, would be to do either this or mini this somewhere else. Um, I don't think when we do a lap to the brewery, you'll see there's not there's not room for a canning line. When we go down to the basement, you see the barrels. There's not room to expand <laughs> that much more. We're we're landlocked here. You know, okay. it's an old building, and despite there being four floors. There's only so much usable brewery space. Well, what's that like, though? What's that like to like live in this world, the the brew pub? And I don't want to say brew pub because it comes off way more than a brew pub to me. But just for the sake of kind of compartmentalizing mm-hmm. what it is, that brew pub world in such a like a, a new geometric pattern sticker canned world. What's it like to like live in that world, but at the same time produce? Those kind of beers, because you do extra super hop stuff here mm-hmm. and there. On top of the mixed fermentation, you, like I said, um, won a couple awards at GABF. You send some of your funky Cezanne stuff out in the world, things like that. What's it like to exist in that world when you see people living in such a different way beer-wise nowadays? That, that's still, when it comes to the beer consumer, as much as, as the beer geek echo chamber 
only seems to talk about that sort of hazy oval sticker can. Most even craft beer sold around here isn't that. Oh, our Lehigh Valley is very unique in that sense, our, though. Our top sellers are are our house IPA, the Left Eye IPA, Colonel Left Eye, and Pine Tree Blonde and Mount Vernon Lager. So you have one IPA, which is like hazy-ish, but yeah. it still has bittering hops. There's no yeah. lactose, anything like that. Uh, over at the Brew Works, you have you have um, Hop Explosion. And you'll have Knuckleball or Blondale, depending on what location you're at, and then the Steel Garden Wit. So most beer sold isn't that. When we put a hazy double IPA on, it's maybe our fourth top seller. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're good beers. And I don't know. It's there's, there's, like we talked about with the color spectrum, there's more to beer than just one flavor. Mm -hmm. And... And I think that's where places like this fit in, is we can provide that. And But don't you think, I mean, again, it, you're always going to have variety and different tastes and stuff like that. Beer's subjective, so some people like cucumbers pickled. You know what I mean? There's always going to be a difference. But I've always thought of the Lehigh Valley being a little bit different. You know what I mean? Like I said, like with Weyerbacher and Fegley's being mm -hmm. kind of old guard stuff. But then you have what you're doing here, your mixed fermentation, your Saison wine barrel aid stuff. Then you have like, you know what I mean, Sam over at Bond doing like crazy old school English yeah. bittering stuff. And it canning seemed, it. Yeah, and canning it. One of the most Haysbro places in the history <laughs> of mankind. Um, but he's doing the old school English stuff. It's a very unique kind of place for beer, I think, at the moment. And you've had a ton of brewers come out of the Lehigh yep. Valley. Do you know what I mean? Whether it be Gene from Tired Hands or Dan, yep. Dan up at a Rushing Duck. Or, and there's a lot of people that have come from this area. Do you, like, do you feel like this is... I feel like it's a quite a bit different um, place for beer than a lot of other places. It, it, to me, it seems like. Yeah, I don't know. As a, as, as a producer, I, I only have experience here. Yeah. Um, you know, it might come from that Pennsylvania Dutch lager culture. I don't know that maybe that holds on to some of these styles or maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't exactly know why we're different or if we are to be honest with you. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Weird people don't know they're weird by the way. <laughs> I hope you know that. Yeah, <laughs> the know. crazy don't know they're I crazy. Know. Um, I know. Um, no, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 it might just be though that we quickly got this large concentration of, of breweries all doing their own thing. And for us to all fit in here, we do have to do our own thing, whether it's Joe down at Separatist doing, starting off doing those, those hazy, geeky beers and now going into a blendery kind of format or Sam doing the English beers with some hazy beers thrown on top, the, you know, the various, uh, you know, titty sprinkles and all those beers <laughs> or Lost Tavern kind of starting with those craft 1.0 styles, kind of like what we did. And now shifting a lot towards that, that hazy thing or funk just coming out of the gate with awesome hoppy beers. You know, maybe it was just as, as, as we all kind of grew up, we all had to, we figured out quick, we had to be unique and different. To, to survive even. And, and I mean, honestly, that's like, especially like this business model you have going here. This is like, they talk about a craft beer bubble. There's no such thing. You know what I mean? It's all, I always thought personally, and it's not an original thought, but that crafts beer is going to become more localized. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Hyper localized, you know, stuff like this, and that's your local brew pub and stuff like that. And that's where you guys end up being almost like for lack of a better word, bulletproof. Nobody's bulletproof, but you know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. with doing these kind of things as opposed to just fixating on one style yeah. and being able to pivot on a dime. If something does change, you can do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. 
that being said, back to you personally about beer. Step away from the brewer thing side of things. Like, what turn? What's is there specific things that turn you on nowadays about beer that's changed since you got into it? Or you that much have that much blinders on that you're running this and you can't, you know what I mean? You're not really in the beer world because you're here doing your thing. I am less, I am less in the greater beer world. I used to, when I was home brewing, I had time to like trade stuff and I was on beer advocate and I was doing all that, <laughs> all that like, like you do when you're a beer geek. Yeah. Um, as I've gotten into it though, I mean, my tastes have evolved quite a bit. Because and I think this is kind of the natural evolution as you go through beer is, um, you know, I, I bought a case of High Life for my house. There's nothing wrong with that, um, man. I know. Um, but Jenny Cream fucked the world, baby. Well, that's, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm the outlier. <laughs> that's what everyone else drinks, I think, when you get to this point. But it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm at the point now where as much as I love, you know, like we're drinking a, 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 a dry hopped fruited Goza right now that's yeah. hazy as shit. And it's really good, I think. Yeah. Um, but when I go home tonight, I want something that I don't have to think about, something clean, whether it's High Life or a clean Pilsner or Hellas or something like that. Um, and that's, you know, we right now, we don't have much of that sort of thing on, but I like to keep a house Pilsner on. More yeah, I mean, me and, yeah, like a Pilsner, I seen you doing a Mexican lager there yeah. for a bit and, and just kind of popping off a bunch of yeah. like clean styles. Now, when you go home and you kick back with that Miller High Life, I mean, you, the curiosity has to get to you. You probably do pop on, whether it be Beer Advocate or Untapped or a lot of that stuff. And to view people talking about your beers and Two Rivers oh, yeah. All the from time. your perspective now, knowing what you did back in the day as far as trading beers and being the person on the forum kind of banging on beers or, or championing them. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you view that? Do you still kind of tr- take it at arm's length and, or, and try to be, okay, I'll look at this constructively. Do you take it way too personally? Uh, everywhere well, in between. You know the 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 reviews as as they've gotten less involved have gotten less helpful as far as the produ- from the producer angle. Um, Beer Advocate used to require you to write something mm-hmm. uh, for the review to count. Now you can kind of tick it with a number, which mm-hmm. is fine. And Untapped, most people don't really write much. Yeah. Um, so it's. It's not helpful as far as maybe me not picking up on uh, an off flavor. Yeah. What it can be helpful for, though, when you, if you combine, let's say, a beer's ratings with some of the sales numbers, what are people responding to these days? And that is something I look at. And because we are, this can't just be like mental masturbation for Josh here. This needs to sell. We (laughs) need to sell beer and we need to, and we're doing that and we need to serve people too. Cause people come here, life is hard. People work really hard Mm -hmm. and they're giving us their hard earned money. And we need to not only meet, but exceed those expectations and give them a good time, both when it comes to their, their, the experience with the service, but also the quality of the products. So if someone, if, if I'm seeing a lot of people, are not enjoying something and 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 the reviews are showing that that is important to me and i would respond do you Um, but i i i I don't let the reviews bother me because you know it it, that's just like your opinion man Mm -hmm. i i don't know do you see a direct correlation between reviews and 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 sales Is, is there more times than not you'd be like okay this is flying and this is getting, just out of curiosity. I see more of a correlation between beer style and numbers. 
in numeric ratings. Hmm. Um, I know for a fact that no matter how clean that corn logger is going to be, it's probably going to be like a 3.5 on untapped. Yeah, because it's not and showy. Know, it's not yeah. And I know when a double IPA goes on there, it's going to be above a four, mm-hmm. probably, unless I screwed it up. Um, and that's okay, you know, because it, cause it's, it's, it's hedonistic ratings. It's what do you enjoy more. And the, and the, the, the people that are rating these beers um, enjoy those beers more. So that's, that's great. I'm glad, I'm glad we have something for them. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a real weird weird world because that's that, people pay a lot of money for that kind of crowdsourcing data and you're basically getting it for free mm-hmm. um from you know whether it be untapped beer advocate whatever you want to call it Do, is there have you found a rhyme or reason and how to weed through it and get to the important nitty-gritty parts of it or you just kind of no. no no i'm not that smart no <laughs> fair enough yeah um i i touched on it earlier um about the you won a couple GABF medals. Well, we won a uh, gold at GABF two years ago for uh, Six Finger Sam, which is a Chardonnay barrel-aged uh, mixed fermentation saison. And then we won gold at the World Beer Cup um, um, in May for our Baltic Porter. Okay. What's it like, like as a, you know, a small, you know, hometown brew pub, what's it like entering those um, as far as just from like dealing with that, just from an insider's perspective? Like, is it a matter of just shipping it off? entry fee done and done and then hopefully you win is a little bit more kind of political bullshit you don't want no. to deal with at all or is it just simple no just- if anything it's the industry we're that's one of the cool things about this industry is like there even when there's little beefs we're all still friends and we all still help each other um you know when when it's time to ship it off you, you enter with the the brewers association iron hill sent, sends an email out hey we're getting a refrigerated truck uh, it's 20, 20 bucks a box to get on our skid. You want in? You just drop it off. We'll keep it cold the whole time for you. Good luck. So we're all, we're all helping each other, and when it's time to do that, someone will send an email around with the Lehigh Valley Brewers Guild and say, hey, I'm driving down. You want to throw your box in my car, or you want to come with me and have some beers down there. So it's, it's none of that. And then the judging, I mean, I, I, have, I have applied to be a judge going forward um, Apparently that is not political because there's a two-year wait list to get on the GABF judging panel. And then to judge the World Beer Cup, you have to judge two GABFs minimum. Okay. So, yeah, it's like it's not any of that. It's, there's no hanky-panky or anything like that. And I don't – and I have no concerns about that because there's – let's be honest here. There's no way we would win a gold at the World Beer Cup if there was because <laughs> we didn't – I didn't slip any money in that box. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what's – um. Do you see any kind of um, difference as far as just people coming in through the doors or anything like that when you win a medal? Is it more just a, you know, like, is there a means to an end for winning a medal uh, from a small place like this? Or is it just, you know, a little bit of, it's nice to be, you know what I mean, pat on the back and have some gratification? Yeah, some of it is it's nice to be recognized um, because you can, if you, like we talked about the untapped reviews, if you yeah. get into that too far, that can sometimes get a little depressing, mm-hmm. even when you think you're doing a good job. Um, so it is nice to have that, that, that outside validation from trained, trained folks. But it does bring people in, and it brings in, depending on what you win for, for example, um, after we won the gold at JBF for the Saison, 
I saw on Instagram Nate, who is like the master barrel guy down at Free Will, who has, I, I believe he's won some awards when he worked at McKenzie's and he ran the barrel program there. Now he's the barrel guy at Free Will. He's a, oh, I got, I just went up there and bought these bottles. This is, <laughs> this is good. And so it, it's, it's nice for that. And it kind of spreads some word. We, we were fairly new at that time. We were about a year in and kind of known in the neighborhood. But it was nice to then kind of let the other industry people know we're here and we're doing these cool things, especially someone that I respect as much as Nate to like take notice and come up and then enjoy it. Um, but it does, it does bring in some customers too, especially with a beer like a barrel aged Saison or a Baltic Porter. Cause you don't, barrel aged Saison, you, they're not a dime a dozen, but you can see those, you find those every now and then. I, no one's making Baltic Porters around here. <laughs> They yeah. should be. They should be. Oh, they oh, should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it ties up a tank for 10 weeks, so that's yeah, why well, they don't. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. And, and it's a lager, so you're fermenting a high-gravity beer at 50 degrees. Things can go sideways. There's only, I, I don't know, there's only a couple brewers around here that I think would, would roll the dice and do it, like, the right way. Yeah. You know, you can do a Baltic porter, but, you know, lagered, cold-fermented lagered, hit, your, hit all your numbers and not be, like, fusily or sulfury or something. It's, Yeah. Preaching the choir, brother. One of my favorite yeah. styles of all time. I remember being when I lived down here. Was it down here? I forget where it was. I forget the first. No, it was a long time ago. One of the first Baltic porters. That was a Hugestrat and Pooter or something like that. It was, a, it was like a stone bottle. It was like, okay. oh, God, I had it. This is 1999, 1998 mm-hmm. or something like that. I've always loved it. And you never find them around anymore. Victory, Victory still does one every now and then. And they did it with Tom Baker, who he's now Earthbred down okay. in like Germantown. But when he, he had heavyweight brewing, him and his wife Peggy had heavyweight brewing in New Jersey, and they made, that beer was just awesome. You see it coming and back a little bit more. I mean, you know, Jack Sabby doing their whole lager thing. Yeah. So it all come out with some of the Baltic porters and stuff like that. And you find it, it it's, uni- it's more, I find it in um, smaller settings, uh, yeah. non non bottle non-can places that are just doing their own locally mm-hmm. local thing. You pop in and be like, oh my God, they're yeah. doing a, you know what I mean, oh, a Baltic porter or something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, beer aside, when you're doing the when you're kicking back with that high life or whatever, <laughs> um, no, like who's is there anybody specifically turning you on? Maybe locally or outside of the area, beer wise that you drink and you're like, man, this is this is this is the stuff. This is what I want to not necessarily produce, but mm-hmm. these are the things that really turn me on. Uh, I mean, locally, um, you know, Bond Place. That's yeah. that would be if I wasn't tired from work, I'd be over there, <laughs> like holding down a seat every night. I like what Sam's doing. He's, he's, his beers are some of his. The simple beers are appropriately simple, and then the weirder beers have a lot going on to keep you interested. And, it doesn't hurt that he's like and, the nicest he, guy in the oh, history. He's, of and he's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many bars you go into where you get a hug from the owner? You know. Um, I think I think Free Will's Barrel Program is killing it. They do, and I love. I will drink yeah. their beer anytime I see it. Their sour program is yeah. crazy bonkers. Yeah, and they just keep. See, that's a business that's building things the right way. So whenever whenever there's an opening, they don't they they like go for talent because they grab their barrel guy has been doing barrels for how many years down at McKenzie's. The salespeople, they got a guy from Shangy's. They got Anthony, who I've worked with before, like awesome salespeople. They got Chris Wilson now from Weyerbacher. Yeah, Weyerbacher just went over there, show. yeah. You know, it's, it's, they're going off that add 10% knowledge every time you hire someone, which is the way to, way to do stuff, and I, I res- respect the hell out of that. Um, I always feel like um, whenever I think I have some clever beer idea, 
I go on Instagram and Gene's already releasing it. <laughs> um, so, you know, you gotta, gotta respect that. Um, it's every, every goddamn time. Um, yeah, outside of the area, I mean, I, the, the classics are still classic to me. Jean Wah at Cantillon, he's now training his kid to do this, and mm-hmm. he was trained by his father to do that. That's awesome. Armand um, at, uh, I never know how to pronounce it, but three. Dre Fontaine, three, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, doing those lambics. Yeah, which one? Three. If you say three, yeah. some people are going to stab you in the face, exactly. and then if you go, Dre, someone's going to kick yeah. you in the nuts. You know, yeah, uh, Frank Bone, you know, like those yeah. guys. And I, I've been fortunate enough to meet all of them, not like, you know, have too long of a conversation, but, you know. We're, 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 we're standing on the shoulders of giants, and they're, they're the three biggest giants to me. And then, and then two, you know, I went up, I was up, uh, I was up in Scranton a couple weeks ago, and um, uh, Jeff Sessions came to town, so I wanted to let him know that I thought he was number one, uh, you know, using a specific yeah. finger. And uh, I ended up stopping <laughs> over at uh, Susquehanna Brewing, because Bo's you know, up, there, Bo's now, up yeah. there now, and, you know, it, and just, you know, uh, I don't get up there enough. And it's awesome to like, you know, try his beer. And we, he poured me a fresh Hellas and it was just like, yeah, well, and I, awesome. And I just respect, I moved know. to Jersey about three months ago. And before that I lived eight minutes away from SBC. Okay. So, you know what I mean? I was yeah. in there quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, they seem to sell a lot of the, the shandies and things like that, but those clean loggers are doing up there are just are top notch. And that's what that system is built for. Yeah, you know yeah, what exactly. I mean? Like they, they like their their base clean line of beers I and mean, they do the newer stuff, but mm-hmm. man, it doesn't get much better. Oh, yeah. Summer chuggers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jaime and, and, and Guy built that right. Um what do you do when you're not drinking beer? You have the wifey? Do you, yeah. Any, yeah, yeah, I have uh, I have uh, um, way too many cats. Oh, um, you're one of those. I'm one of those. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We have Satchel, who I met at Porter's Pub, um, Django, um, Winston, and Highbeam, Toby Meowguire, um, <laughs> Addie, who is a, a hospice a medical medical foster, and then a couple weeks ago, um, there was some weird cat noises in the neighborhood, and then a couple days later, there's like a cat fight na- noise in the neighborhood. And then you magically got a new cat. And then two <laughs> days later, there's a cat like pawing at my back door trying to get in. So now, yeah, <laughs> now we have Mortimer. And we'll see. If you want a cat, you can adopt him. Uh, I, re- I have three cats, <laughs> okay. so I'm good with the cats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got one indoor cat and two farm cats. So um, Yeah, do but, that. I mean, I, I like to read. I'm very... Um, yeah, I, I I I try to be involved in in local politics, whether it's knocking doors for people I support. I was going to say that. Yeah, like do you, that. you still keep in yeah. tune with that? Yeah, I mean, I kind of I got out of it for a few years. I'd show up on like election day to knock doors, but um, yeah, the, I don't know. Things have changed. So, was it a school thing? Did you go to like political science or anything like that? Was school or do you, was it more just you're just I'm politically a, driven? I'm partially through a political science degree. I, I when I left Detroit, I was not I had not gone to school. But since moving here, uh, I got associates at Northampton, um, and I've been I've, I went to Muhlenberg for a couple of years, and that was easier to do that before I was over here in Easton, um, where now it's getting there by for night classes is problematic. So, so that's, that's on hold. The, um, is, 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 you know, the whole, whole adage, you know, no politics in a bar. Mm-hmm. Um, what's it, living in that world being so politically driven and, uh, being a brewer. Well, well, brewers are, uh, more, more politically, uh, active than you'd think. Um, and we, 
You have to be almost. To a yeah, point. I mean, it, it, well, for one, it is it is a very highly regulated business. Mm-hmm. So we do have to be involved with our government officials, and we have to let them know what our needs are. Um, but then, just I think the type of folks that get into this, because I don't think we, of course, got into it because we need to make money, we need to live. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's any of the, at least locally, brewers that got into it only as a payday. Mm-hmm. So anytime you're dealing with people that are in something out of a labor of love or for art or whatever, I think that creates a certain mindset or attracts a certain mindset. You know, so they're all, most of the, most of the guild here is pretty involved. <laughs> like-minded. Like-minded, and many of them are involved, too, in various ways. Um, but other things, I mean, I, I've, it kind of took a backseat recently, but I uh, play the claw hammer banjo. Um, not well, but, uh, you know. That claw hammer banjo, yeah, old timey, not old not bluegrass. Time. Okay, that's 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 fancy stuff. Oh yeah, keeping it simple. <laughs> that's right, kissing it, keep it simple, that's stupid. Right. Um, you touch on so many things beer wise at Tear Rivers, like we talked about from clean lagers to dry hop this to Baltic porters. I mean, I usually ask what's 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 in the future, but I mean, really, is it just keeping your head up? I guess you would say, and moving forward, and just trying to grow the things that you do, and trying to get a little bit deeper. Well, what, what I'm excited about, and it's starting to come to fruition now, and, um, and I'll pull a bottle up of something that's carbonating before you, before you leave, but um, is the barrel program we started shortly after I got here, once I kind of figured everything out and you know, shook, the, shook the cobwebs off. And, um, it, so that was just, just under three years ago now. So I have some mature barrels. You can start to get in some and, real blending, and it's and they're they're of staggered ages. The most the freshest thing in the basement is from January, I think, without looking at the bo- the barrel log, and the oldest stuff, you know, is from 2016. So we're starting to get to that point now where you can just go down there because it's a lot of the barrels are at least the mixed mixed firm, like the real, real weird stuff. It's either pale beer or dark beer. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you just taste, and then, okay, what's, what's good, what's bad? And then what flavors are in the good that can maybe play with some of these? Or what fruits might work with this? Or can we dry hop that? Or can we blend? Or do we have something upstairs that, you know, Saison and Lambic's kind of neat? And not that our stuff is Lambic, but, um, you know, Saison and that sort of wild ale is neat, or even uh, OEC up at uh, up in uh, Connecticut even did yeah. double IPA blended with lambicy type stuff. So they do kooky, crazy, oh, awesome shit. That up place there. is awesome. Yeah, that place is yeah, great. Yeah. Um, and their bottles look cool too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I love their labels. They're like bubble jet printer labels or some shit. Like you get it wet and it just like <laughs> smears right and falls uh, right off. Well, it's I'll like remember that when I need magnums. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, so I, I'm excited about the future because now we're at the point where at least once a quarter we can pull something cool out. Last quarter we were able to pull three things out of the basement. So maybe if we don't deplete everything too fast, we can do two or three cool beers a quarter coming out of the, the barrel cellar. And that's just, you know, blend, throw it in a bottle, 
Yeah. Re- recarbonate it, yep. pitch yeah. it a little bit, and then go from there kind mm-hmm. of thing? Yeah, well, it depends. I yeah. mean, maybe. It might might get fruit, so it might have to go into a fermenter where it sits for a little longer. might get some dry hops where it'll sit for, you know, maybe a week. Um, the We just bottled this year's version of Six Finger Sam Saison, what we had won previously okay. um, at GABF. So that just straight into a tank, some, some more brett, some sugar, bottle it up, and hope for the best. Exciting stuff, dude. I love love the funky stuff. I think most people do. You know what I mean? When you get to that, like you talked about that craft evolution. I'm, I'm sure it's well, weird because you almost circle back. Because I assume when you're talking about that bar in D.C., I mean, back in that day, you're looking at just Belgian beers and, and stuff like that. It, a lot it, of stale IPAs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And Belgian beers and then classic, um, some English stuff, too. I, I once was able to, for my birthday, um, have a couple Thomas Hardy's. Um, so, so Mike, they, that's my all-time. Favorite. I just got married a month ago. My bro- yeah. buddy brought 1986 Hardy for my wedding. Well, this so the service was not great at the Brick Skeller, mm-hmm. um, as many of the that like first wave craft beer yeah. bars are like. Um, but that's part of the ambiance. But so I had ordered. Um, I was born in 1980, so I ordered you know 1980 Thomas Hardy. They bring a 79, and I go, well, I, you know. I'm not sending this back. Yeah. It's, they had already opened it. Yeah. So, you know, but just like, I kind of wanted the 80, so I'm going to order that next, please. Said, oh, we screwed up here on the house. So I go, and I finished that. And I'm feeling good. And then <laughs> I say, I'll take that 80 now. They bring me the 81. I go, um, you know, I, I don't want to be this guy. I kind of wanted the 80. I don't know how many more of these I can have. Well, this one's on the house. Happy birthday. Mm. So, okay. Please get it right next time. <laughs> and, then, and then they brought the 80s. But it was, it was a bad idea, maybe. But it was cool to have those three years in a row and be able to taste. Because they, they were very different. Uh, I mean, oh, the, 80, yeah, yeah. the 80 wasn't the best. The 81 was probably the best. The 80 was really, like, cardboardy. The 79 was kind of phenolic and, yeah. like, electrical wiry, but not awful. Uh, but it's still good. Oh, it's still That's really what I mean. Good. Like, I, yeah. I got it. I born in 76. I ended up tracking down to 76 once, and it was swamp water. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And But it was a fantastic experience because just kind of going into a beer like that, even if it's technically turned into something that's not supposed to be, just to understand. One, to have it, and two, to just experience what something can turn yeah. into is yeah, just exactly. a fun experience in and of itself. Yeah. And to have them in a row like that, too. Yeah, 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 yeah that's my that's my all-time great. I collect those, like... How are the How do the new ones hold up? The newer ones, like the ones that we did just reissued? Yeah. Um, pretty good. I mean, it's only been about two and a half years well, since they reissued even, them. I haven't even had them, so I don't they, know, um, like, quality-wise. Uh, the it's... new ones are great. I mean, you know, classic. They need some time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, you know, last time I had a Hardy Fresh was... 2008, I think, was when they yeah, stopped producing them. So, I mean, I probably had one in 2008, but, mm-hmm. I mean, it's been so long. But they also started doing cognac barrel ones, too. Um, so those, I mean, come off as, like, an aged... And it works really perfectly. It comes off as an aged hearty. This is turning into a hearty podcast. Um, <laughs> it comes off more as an aged hearty as opposed to a cognac barrel aged hearty. Because it, mm-hmm. it gets to that point, that raisinetti kind of, yeah. like, you know, kind of... Um, kind of cognac-y port kind of thing that goes on when I usually get some age on them, but they're pretty good. But anyway, now I want a hearty. Um, Me too. Josh. Josh Bushy, <laughs> Two Rivers Brewing. Bushy? Is it Bushy? Bushy, yeah. Bushy? Yeah. I always pronounce names wrong. I'm kind of impressed myself on that one. But uh, that's awesome, dude. I appreciate the conversation. Oh, thanks. Thanks for coming down. Yeah. Um, uh, tell people how to find you. What do they do? Well, they can come to 542... 542- 542 Northampton Street in Easton and come visit the pub. You can go to tworiversbrewing.com. You can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, um, or 
I don't know. I guess email me. Email? No Friendster, IRC? Not on OkCupid or anything? No? Uh, they always swipe yeah, left yeah, or yeah. right. <laughs> awesome, dude. Thank you so very much. Um, like I said, Tour of Brewing, it's cool. I mean, honestly, one of the cool things about this place, I think the beer is fantastic. It's one of the reasons why I'm here. Uh, but it's also, there is, the food's fantastic, too. We didn't even touch on that, but... There's so many different beers, you know what I mean, as far as, you know, whether it be, you know, like a Mexican corn-based lager to Baltic Porter to a super dry hopped kind of peach goza. It's going to, you're going to find something for everybody. And it's, you know, a nice environment. It's a beautiful old building. And Easton, and honestly, Easton to me is one of the coolest towns. I loved living here. There's a bunch of other great spots around here. Weyerbacher's down the street. Porter's Pub is a good place to stop in if you want to check out an old-timey pub. But, uh, yeah, check it out. Easton, PA, uh, Two Rivers Brewing. And that's that. Don't talk so much next time, okay? No, it's okay. Uh, That's why he's the best color man in the business. Uh, Okay, cheers, guys.